Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Uh, Lord, again, we welcome your presence in this place. We thank you for just your continued provision uh, in this church, in our lives, Lord. Uh, and I pray that uh, you would continue to provide and that you would give us generous hearts, uh, not towards an institution of a church, Lord, but towards the growth of your kingdom. Uh, and I pray that, uh, that that would be the case with every, every penny that, that is given today and every day, that it would gr- go towards the growth of your kingdom. We pray that you would pour out a revival of your spirit in this area. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, two real quick announcements before we dive into the final week of our series that we've been in since January. Uh, One announcement is this Wednesday at 10 a.m. here at the church, a ladies' small group is going to be meeting. It's the first time that they've moved it to Wednesday mornings. So that starts this week. If you're interested, Barb is on the back wall there. She's the one to talk to this Wednesday, 10 a.m. Next Saturday, we are jumping back into our community outreach. Dave Fisher heads that up for us. So we're going to have a uh, church breakfast here next Saturday at 8 a.m. And then we're going to go from there and just love on our community and, and do some work on some, some fam- uh, with some houses that are in need, some families that are in need. So uh, we'll have more specific information on that next week. But uh, you don't have to be very construction-oriented to help out with that. There are jobs uh, for everyone Uh, So that's next Saturday at 8 a.m. if you can be a part of that. So with that said, Lord, again, I pray that you speak this morning. Open our hearts and our ears. Let your word go forth in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, we are wrapping up our series on the Gospel of John. We started this, I think it was back in the second week of January. We've been taking it about a chapter at a time, and today we're in John chapter 21. So uh, John 21 itself is a unique chapter, not just within the Gospels, but within the Gospel of John itself, it's a unique chapter because it's actually written as an epilogue. So we've talked uh, way back in the first week of this series, we looked at how the first 18 verses of John chapter 1 were a prologue. It was introducing the entire Gospel. Everything that occurs after John 1.18 is the unfolding of what he says in John 1, 1 through 18. So John 1, 1 through 18 is the prologue. In in chapter 21, we have the epilogue. So the epilogue is basically a final chapter that is intended to tie a bow on the entire Gospel of John. And it's almost uh, an addendum, uh, an addition to the Gospel. And in fact, if you were reading the Gospel of John for the first time and you didn't know any better, and you finished uh, John chapter 20, the resurrection story, you would probably think that the gospel was over, that he was done with a story. And I'll show you what I mean. We read some of this last week, but this is right after Jesus encounters Thomas. And he says, put your hand uh, in, the, in the holes in my arms, like behold me. And, and Thomas responds in John 20, 28. He says uh, to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And then I want you to just notice how in John 20, it seems like they're wrapping up the gospel. It says, Jesus told Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And it seems like 
you could just put the end right here, that this could be the end of the gospel. But I love that this is not the end of the gospel of John, because if this were the end, uh, there would be a gap of sorts. We would be left wondering about Peter. Uh, and I'll show you what I mean by that. Uh, if we go back to last week one more time in the resurrection story, and we read John chapter 20, verses 5 through 10, this is the first reference to Peter after he denied knowing Jesus three times. Uh, this is in verse 5 of John 20. It says, John bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there in the empty tomb, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight in the, into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, and the cloth was lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed, but they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, why do I bring this up? Because without John chapter 21... This would be the last reference we have to Peter in the Gospel of John. And there would be this gap of sorts where Peter is denying Jesus, saying, I don't know the guy, I don't know the guy. And then this happens where he just sees an empty tomb, and then he's the leader of the New Testament church. And there's this gap of how did he go from denying the person of Jesus Christ to suddenly he is the leader of the New Testament church. Something would be missing if it were not for John chapter 21. John chapter 21 is really all about the links, the links that Jesus went to to restore Peter from that moment. Uh, so what I want to do real quick this morning is watch a video. We watched this several years ago, so it might look familiar to you. Uh, but it's the Gospel of John, uh, the narrator and, and everything. It's just coming straight out of the Bible. So it's about a four-minute video that covers most of the, uh, John chapter 21. If you want to play that and turn it up a little bit, Greg. As the sun was rising, Jesus stood at the water's edge. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Young men, haven't you caught anything? Not a thing! Throw your net out on the right side of the boat, and you will catch some. So they threw the net out, and could not pull it back in. They had caught so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken his clothes off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples came to shore in the boat, pulling the net full of fish. They were not very far from land, about a hundred yards away. When they stepped ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore full of big fish, 153 in all. 
Even though there were so many, still the net did not tear. Come and eat. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. So Jesus went over, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This then was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from death. After they had eaten, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Take care of my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter became sad because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And so he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. I'm telling you the truth. When you were young, you used to get ready and go anywhere you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you up and take you where you don't want to go. In saying this, Jesus was indicating the way in which Peter would die and bring glory to God. is I want to take four things that we can extract out of John chapter 21. Uh, if you've been with us for, for uh, several years, you might recognize a few of these. Uh, I've taught on two of them before. Two of them are brand new. Uh, I don't like to be too repetitive in my, my teachings, but um, uh, it's so significant here to what's taking place that uh, if you weren't with us, I don't want you to miss it. And you might have a memory that's about as good as mine, which is not very good. So you might have forgotten by now. I know that you never forget anything I say, but uh, just in case, there's one of you. I think Emily's the one. So this is for you, babe. All right. Um, that's it. Now, one of the things that we have seen in the Gospel of John taking place over and over in nearly every chapter, uh, even into last week in the resurrection story, is John loves to hearken us back to events and characters and stories, uh, uh, usually within the Old Testament. Typically, uh, th this happens spe specifically to the person or the ministry of Moses. And what we have in John chapter 21 uh, is Jesus is connecting us again to an event that has previously taken place, only this time it's not connecting his audience to the Old Testament. It's actually connecting Peter to previous events that have taken place in his life. 
So what we find is Jesus goes to great extremes, uh, and we just saw this take place to essentially connect Peter to two moments and actually to recreate two moments of significance that have taken place in Peter's past. And we're going to go out of order. We're going to start with the second one. We find it in John chapter 21, verse 9. It says, when they got out of uh, on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Now remember, uh, I've said over and over, there are no insignificant details in Scripture. This is the Word of God, and every word matters. So uh, here we find this word charcoal fire. It's a Greek word, anthrakia, and it only occurs two times in Scripture. Two times. Now, within the New Testament, there are more than 60 references to fire, but only twice did they, they specify that it was a charcoal fire. This is the second instance. This is the, the time when Jesus created the charcoal fire. The first instance was back in John chapter 18, and I'm going to read that to you, beginning in verse 15. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. This is after Jesus was arrested. So since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire. This is the only other reference in all of scripture to a charcoal fire. They created this charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing there warming themselves and Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself so they said to him, you are not one of his disciples are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off asked, did I, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. So what we have is Jesus has actually, with this charcoal fire, recreated the circumstances of Peter's denials. It was around a charcoal fire warming himself. The Bible says that Peter denied Jesus three times. And now Jesus has actually built a charcoal fire, the only other charcoal fire referenced in all of the New Testament, and it's here he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? It's here he gives him that opportunity for restoration from that place of his greatest, uh, uh, greatest shame. And now I've mentioned before that what Jesus does here, to me it is so fascinating because Jesus actually enters into the field of neurology or the study of the brain. Uh, I'm sure you've noticed when you walk into a room sometimes there will be a, an aroma in the room that will transport you back to a place in your past. You'll just smell something familiar and it'll take you back to another place uh, in your childhood. And scientists believe that this is because of the location of two, two parts of your brain called the hippocampus and the olfactory bulb. The hippocampus is the part of the brain that forms, stores, and processes memory. And the olfactory bulb is the part of the brain that processes smell. And because these are in close proximity to one another in the brain, scientists believe that's the reason that at, at times you will smell something and it will tr trigger a memory. You don't even control it. You just smell it and it triggers a memory. Uh, memory. It's called odor-linked memory. Or to sim uh, simply put it, it's just an association. An association you make. Now, 
consider the fact that it was around this charcoal fire that Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. And, and if you've ever been around a charcoal fire, you know there is an aroma from the charcoal. So Peter is, is being engulfed with the smell of charcoal. And in this moment, when he's surrounded by that smell, he does the most unforgivable thing you can do, the most shameful thing he's done in his entire life, and he denies knowing Jesus three times. What does Jesus do? Jesus prepares a charcoal fire. He builds it for Peter, and they gather around it. And I think the purpose of this is twofold. I think Jesus wants Peter to be transported back to that place where he had just denied him three times. And with those memories fresh on his brain, Jesus wants to restore him. But the other side of that, what's taking place, I believe, is I think that Jesus knows that after Jesus is gone, Peter will be around many more charcoal fires. I think what Jesus is doing is replacing that association. Jesus is not okay with Peter every time he smells a charcoal fire to be filled with shame and guilt. So instead of that being what he associates that smell with, from now on when Peter smells charcoal, he'll remember the moment of his greatest restoration, of his greatest redemption, and that is the length that Jesus Jesus will go to to be sure that his followers do not live in shame. Church, you are not created for shame. Shame, the Bible says, was the first result of the fall in the the Garden of Eden. When they recognized their sin, they noticed they were naked and became ashamed. Shame was the first fruit of the fall, and it's not, not God's intention for you. And what we find here is the lengths that Jesus will go to to make sure his followers do not live in shame. And to me, that is incredible. Now, I mentioned that that is just one of two scenes that Jesus recreates from Peter's uh, past. That's the second. The first one, also depicted in the video, uh, Jesus recreates the very first encounter he ever had with uh, Simon Peter. Uh, If you went back to Luke chapter 5, what you'll find is the first encounter Jesus has with Peter. Uh, It looks exactly the same. Peter has been fishing all night long, and he's caught nothing. Jesus tells him, cast your net somewhere else. So he does. And the same thing, just like John 21, he listens and is met with a supernatural catch of fish. So these similarities between his first encounter with Jesus and his final encounter with Jesus are incredible. But I want you to see something because at that moment, after this supernatural catch of fish, there is a stark difference that takes place. And the difference is in Peter's response when he recognizes who Jesus is. So if we go back to Luke chapter 5, verse 8, we find his response to the first time that there was this miraculous catch. In Luke 5, 8, it says this, When Simon Peter saw this, when he saw this miraculous catch, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. So in, in Peter's first encounter with Jesus, Peter recognizes he is in the presence of holiness. At the very least, in the, he's in the presence of a miracle worker or a prophet. So how does he respond? He looks inward. He looks at his own sin and his own failures, and he says, you need to get away from me. If you understood my sin, you would get away from me. 
Now fast forward to John chapter 21 and we have the exact same circumstances and we have a sinful man. We have a man who has just denied knowing Jesus three times. We have a man who was scattered with the other disciples and when Jesus hung on the cross, he was nowhere to be found. And when he recognizes Jesus on the shore, he does not yell, get away, I'm a sinful man. Instead, he jumps into the water because he cannot get to Jesus quickly enough. What has changed between that first encounter and the last encounter? What has changed is he has now walked with Jesus, he's learned from Jesus, and now he knows who Jesus is. So though he is still a sinful man, he doesn't let those failures drive him away from Jesus, but actually he lets them drive him towards Jesus. And that is the difference between shame and conviction. Uh, if you are dealing with shame, you know it because it's the feeling that you are so unclean that you need to stay away from Jesus until you clean yourself up. Uh, clean your act up, then go to Jesus. Maybe he'll see you. But conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit says, I need to take this to Jesus. I'm struggling with something. I need to get to Jesus as quickly as possible because I know I know my Jesus, so I know that there is forgiveness waiting. I know there's redemption waiting. I know there are open arms waiting. Uh, so one of these, shame drives you away from Jesus. Conviction drives you towards Jesus. Again, you are not created for, for shame, but conviction is a gift of God, church. You should have conviction in your life over something because you are not perfect. There should be something that, that, that God, the Holy Spirit, is leading you towards and saying, you need to come to me with this. Because there is always room to grow in our sanctification. So those two areas I have touched on before. And quickly, I want to look at two more that were new to me as I studied this week. And the first is in the language that is used in this restoration moment. This moment when Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Now, some of you are aware uh, that in the Greek language, there are multiple words used for love. Uh, the first one, uh, it's only used once or twice. It's storge, and it just means devotion. Another one is eros. It means passion or intimacy. Uh, phileo means affection. And agape is the perfect love of God. It is love in the fullest extent. Now, I didn't know until this week that in Jesus' dialogue with Peter, they are intermixing these words when they're talking about love. And what I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I'll tell you up front, this is my interpretation of what's happening. Not everyone will agree with this. You might not agree with this. This is my interpretation, okay? So in John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15, this is that moment uh, of restoration. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, in this moment, Jesus uses the word agape. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me with the perfect love of God? Love to the fullest. And Peter responds and says this. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. But what Peter does here is he uses a different word. When Peter responds, he says, phileo. In other words, he says, I know that my love for you is not perfect yet. I know that I do not have the perfect love of God to the fullness, but I do love you. 
I love you with all of the affection I have, even if it's not yet agape love. And then Jesus repeats the question in the next verse. It says again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Again, Jesus uses the word agape, but do you love me with the fullness, the love of God? And Peter responds and he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And again, Peter uses that word phileo. Again, he says, I'm not there yet. I, I don't love you with the perfect love of God, but I love you with everything I have to love you. I, I love you with affection. And then the third time Jesus asks him, I want you to see this. He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this is the word that Jesus uses the third time. Jesus changes the word and says, but do you love me? Now, I think what is happening here is Jesus is kind of coming down to his level. I think Jesus calls us to that agape love. But what the Bible says is it says the greatest command in all of scripture is to love God with every fiber of your being, with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And you might not be there yet. You might not love God with the fullness, the love of God, that agape love. And I think what Jesus was doing was coming down to his level and saying, if you love me with all you have, even if it's just phileo, that's enough for me. I've called you to more. I've called you to agape love, but I will come down to your level. So he says, do you love me with phileo, with agape love? And then Peter replies and says, yes, you know everything. You know that I love you. And I think, church, that Jesus comes down and he says, you are called to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it might not be the perfect love of God just yet, but love him with everything you have. That's what you have been called to. And if you say it's not agape love yet, God will not rebuke you for, for that and smite you for that. He'll say, well, love me with what you've got. Love me with all that you can. And I think that's what's happening uh, in this moment. Now, one more passage that struck me this week. It jumped off the pages. And I'll be honest, I do not know how it's never jumped off the pages before. But it's in John chapter 21, and it's in verse 20 we find it. Uh, Mike, you can go ahead and come. Um, it says, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Uh, we find this kind of competitive nature between Peter and John all over the place. When they ran to the tomb, John said, I got there first. And Peter said, I went inside first. And, and it's, it's this competition all the way through. And even in this moment, Peter is saying, well, what about him? What are you going to do with John? And Jesus gives him uh, just, just this brilliant response. He says, basically, that's not your concern. Your concern is you follow me. And in the world that we live in, church, there is no greater advice that I can give you than just to say, don't worry about the person next to you. You follow Jesus. That is the greatest advice you can follow. And if you're in the schools, if you're in the classrooms, and you look around and you 
see how other people are living their lives, and you see how other people that, that profess Christ are living their lives, and you say, uh, you're looking to them and you're saying, nothing bad is happening to them. No, no, Jesus would say to you, don't concern yourself with them. would say to you in this moment is that is not your concern. How he responds to the life of someone else is not your, your concern. But you must follow Jesus. Can you stand with me, church? message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.